hopefully you'll, you'll, uh, you'll come and sit down. So we looked a bit in the first session at um, the whole theme of sowing, and we looked at what it means to carry the seed, to carry the presence of the Lord. We looked at sort of six elements of that, and we're going to look together now at reaping and um, what that might look like for us. And again, um, I've sort of, you know, in prayer before uh, this day, sensed three kind of areas, practical areas really, that we can grow in in order to grow in reaping. Why don't I pray for us as we, as we start this session? So, Father, I thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the fun and the joy of being together, sharing. Thank you for this place. Thank you for those who've organized it. Thank you for those who are looking after children and other things for us today so we can be together. And so, um, Lord, we just invite you now to come. We want you to be at the center of all that happens in this next session. Lord, we, we don't want to be entertained or um, intellectually stimulated. We want you to speak to us. We want your word to um, touch our lives. And so I just pray that that is what would happen in this next session. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so obviously in Matthew chapter, um, it, well, at the end of Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 28, um, Jesus sends, the disciples sends us to go into all the world and to make disciples. But I want to just take three areas, three ways in which um, we can do this. And I've tried to um, think about how we can do this in sort of normal life, as it were. For me, um, a, lo a lot of what I do is proclamation evangelism. So I will be going into a situation, a university or a political arena or some kind of um, event with the opportunity to make a proclamation, answer questions and call people to make a response. So I could talk to you about that, but it may not be very practically relevant for our lives. So what does it mean um, in daily life as a woman in 21st century Britain to be involved in reaping? And... So the three areas we're going to look at, the first one is to learn how to ask questions, to learn how to ask questions, which may sound counterintuitive. Within that first point, we're going to look at eight aspects of that, of, of how we can do that and, and um, what that might mean. Okay, so to learn how to ask questions. It may um, surprise you, it certainly did surprise me in reading the New Testament how much Jesus does this. In the Gospels alone, he asks over 157 questions. And, you know, I think often we think about reaping as, or evangelism, you know, seeing people come to faith as something that primarily happens in a big meeting sort of context where you know, something is proclaimed and people respond. And obviously there is a, a big place for that. But what we actually see in the Gospels as well is that alongside that, reaping happens in the context of conversation, conversations with real people. And one of the things that Jesus does in order to, um, 
to facilitate that is to ask questions. I think that's something we can learn to do. So we're going to look at a number of different questions Jesus asks and what they might mean for us. So the first thing that a question can do is to intrigue a person and to connect with the desire for meaning and purpose, for significance, for answers. Um, The Bible tells us, Ecclesiastes, that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. That God has set eternity in the hearts of men and women. And one of the things I believe we can do is to learn how to ask questions that really call that forth, that really touch that space within every human being um, that, that, that is that longing. Um, Bernard Levin, who used to write for the Times, not a Christian, but he said this, countries like ours are full of people who have all the material comforts they desire, together with such n- non-material blessings as a happy family, and yet lead lives of of quiet and at times noisy desperation, understanding nothing but the fact that there is a hole inside them. And however much food and drink they pour into it, however many motor cars and television sets they stuff it with, however many well-balanced children and loyal friends they parade around the edges of it, it aches. A question can connect with that. Now, some of you will have um, lots of friends who, on the surface of things, are highly successful, you know, have everything this world has to offer, happy relationship, um, nice house, lots of money, uh, perhaps a fulfilling career, the family that they want. And people often say to me, how do you reach that person? You know, the church is good at reaching the needy person who comes to Jesus weeping on their knees because their life is a desperate mess. But what about the person whose life is completely together? Well, let's have a look at at, um, John's gospel. And um, uh, Jesus does this. He asks a question in John chapter 1, verse 38, that really connects with this inner longing that every human being has. So um, this is the first time Jesus speaks in John's gospel. It's the first thing he said at all. Um, So we've had this big prologue, you know, that Jesus is the Logos, the one through whom the universe came into existence. Nothing was made that has been made without his involvement. We've heard that the Logos has entered the space-time continuum that he's created in this historical person and made his dwelling among us. And now he's going to speak. And the first thing that he says is to ask a question of these two disciples. And the question is this, what do you want? What do you want? Brilliant question. I want to suggest that that is a question that you and I can ask friends who we have a desire to see come into the kingdom. What do you really want in life? What are some of the longings and hopes and dreams of your life? It's interesting. Um... Uh, last Christmas, we, my husband and I were at a party and lots of our children's friends' parents were there and other people that we knew. And there was one person who um, is sort of a mate, you know, friendly, and we have a laugh together, but we've never really had a significant conversation. 
And it's quite loud music at this party. It's not really very conducive to a, a, a deeper meaningful. And I wasn't really expecting it, but um, we were talking. And she said to me, um, I've noticed that you and Frog have found your purpose for living. And she said, by that I mean, like, really deeply, you have a satisfaction. Now, this is someone who is very wealthy, got, has got life together on the outside of things. She said, I haven't found that yet. I'm looking, I'm searching. So I said to her, well, what, what do you want in life? What is it that you want? Just copying Jesus, asking a question. And we spent the next hour talking. Now, she hasn't become a Christian yet, but um, she has made very significant steps towards the kingdom. And it began with a question. What, what do you really want? A question can intrigue someone it can, and it can connect to that desire for, for meaning and purpose in life. It's, a, it's not a sort of cringeworthy question that um, it is narrowing you down too much. You know, what do you think about this doctrine or do you believe this, that or the other? It's an open-ended question that actually can allow God to begin to work and enable you to then speak into that person's life. Secondly, a question can help um, a person to start thinking seriously about whether there is a God and what that might mean for them. Asking the right question can provoke someone to begin to really think and consider who Jesus is and whether there's a God and whether this is relevant to them. Now, often you and I think that thinking is the enemy of evangelism. You know, we think if people start thinking about it, you know, they're going to pick holes in the Trinity or, you know, they're not going to believe it. But actually, what we see is that the opposite is, tr is true. Jesus was pr constantly pressing people to consider, to think, to, to wonder, to ruminate, to chew over who he is and whether he was really there. If you're taking notes, there's a classic example of that in Luke 18, 18. Uh, where Jesus asks the question of, of a man who's, who's come to him with a sincere um, search. My um, friend and colleague is a, um, a guy called Vince Vitale, and he grew up in um, the States in an Italian-American, very nominally Catholic home. He went to Princeton University to study philosophy and was um, very, very sporty. He was on the boxing team and various other sports as well. And on one level, you might think a very unlikely person to become a Christian. Highly opinionated um, and aggressive, really, in his views. And it was through asking questions in his philosophy course that he began to even think, is there a God? Is there a God? And um, one of his friends asked him a more personal question. What do you really think about this? Have you considered this for yourself, not just as an abstract thing, but as, as something personal? And invited him to come 
along to an athlete's, um, to a Christian kind of athlete's meeting. And Vince describes, he's never seen anything like it, he describes walking to a room of 50 very, very sporty other students at Princeton University. And he describes his amazement at watching them sing their hearts out to an unseen person. He thought this was absolutely strange and bizarre. Here are these grown athletes who are clearly highly intelligent and they're singing their hearts out to a person they can't see. But that question set him thinking and he bought himself a Bible. And um, so this Christian then said, well, what do you think about Jesus? So he read a gospel and every um, time he didn't agree with something that Jesus claimed, he wrote BS next to it. Okay, in the margin, in pen. He still has the Bible and says that he reads through it. says, sorry, Lord, every time he sees that. But as he read through, he found himself persuaded, persuaded that Jesus was actually who he claimed to be. What? Through not thinking about it, through not engaging the mind? No, through his mind being engaged and through being asked questions. What do you think about this? What conclusions do you draw from this? Thirdly, a question can bring the focus onto Jesus. A question can help us in the course of conversation, you know, um, that may begin about a search for meaning or it may begin um, on a more intellectual level about some scandal in the news, but that is a, a God conversation, an opportunity. In that context, you and I asking a question can help to bring the focus in the conversation onto Jesus. We see in John 2, verse 4, Jesus does this with his own mother. He asks her the question, why do you involve me? Why do you involve me? And that question has, has um, really haunted me over the last year. Um, am I living and am I talking with people in a way that actually brings Jesus in, that involves him? And do I have questions um, on my mind that I can ask people that will get them to really engage with him? So um, a few weeks ago, um, again, I was at a party and a, another, a friend who's not a Christian said to me, um, some stuff had been going on in her life. She'd suffered a bereavement and she said, I'd really like to talk to you about this. Um, now's not the time. But it, I just can't escape the fact that I, uh, you know, the thought that we need to have a coffee and we need to talk about this. I don't want to talk about other things. I really want to talk about this. I'm really concerned about it. So we got together and we talked about the issue. And as we were talking, obviously, I knew that the answer to this particular issue was going to be meeting Jesus. Does that make sense? That's the only answer I know. Into, into what she was really struggling with and the place she was emotionally. So I know that I haven't got anything to offer her other than the person of Jesus. And she thinks out of all the people she knows, and we don't know each other very well, that I'm the person who might have something that can help her. So she has an intuition that I've got something, and I know that the only thing I've got is Jesus. 
I haven't got anything therapeutic that can help. I haven't got any solution other than meeting Christ. So we're sitting in my sitting room, and this is, remember, we're in, we're in England, and so it's sort of slightly socially awkward, isn't it? You're having this conversation, but how do you bring it to Jesus? Because that's what it's all about. It's going to be meeting him. And, and I'm, you know, I, I do this for a living, but nonetheless, I'm starting to sweat slightly because I know that if this, if this is handled in the wrong way, it's going to be very embarrassing and awkward. Um, and so the Lord just gives me a question to ask her, which was about, it was about Jesus. And I started by saying, well, you know, in my own experience, that is similar to what we're discussing, what I have found is that there aren't actually a lot of, you know, ideas and hoops that you can jump through that will help you, but there is a person who can help you. I don't know how much you know about or think about Jesus. What do you think of him and who do you think he was? So that's how we, um, we started talking. But asking that question, what do you think about Jesus, enabled me in that conversation to help bring the focus onto him, to do it in a natural way. Um, and we were able to pray together, and it was a, a, a wonderful time. Fourthly, a question can, when we're in a conversation with someone and we're wanting to reap, we're wanting to see fruit, asking a question can help us to refine or redefine an issue that is difficult. Jesus does this in himself in Matthew chapter 22. There's this whole thing about who should we pay taxes to. It's a sort of awkward situation. And Jesus navigates through that very difficult conversation by asking the right question. Um, a dear friend of mine a few years ago had been speaking somewhere and was very, very tired. It was the end of the day and she wanted to get the train back to London to her family and the train was about to leave the station. She was running down the steps with her Bible and all her stuff and managed to just get into the train as the doors were closing and looked through the carriage and saw only one seat available. She went to sit in the seat, collapsed and thought, right, I can rest now. I can read my book. I'm on my way home not expecting since she was in England to have any conversation, you know, how people never talk on the train to strangers. So she was quite surprised when, as the train pulled out, um, the lady sitting next to her struck up conversation with her and said, well, what have you been doing? Have you had a good day? And my friend said, yes, fine. And she said, well, I've had the most terrible day. You know, I've been at my granddaughter's confirmation. And my friend said, well, why is that terrible? She said, well, you know, I'm a rational, reasonable person. I don't believe in God and all this nonsense about God. And I can't believe that someone in my family has committed to this superstition. Everybody in the train carriage is sort of like this. And my friend is thinking, seriously, Lord, really, 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 me? Does it have to be? And so my friend says to this woman, oh, well, I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that. She said, no, don't you understand? You know, it's just terrible. She believes in God and it's such utter nonsense. And my friend said, well, why do you say that? Thinking, try and fob her off and get on to something else. And she said, well, you know, I, I, 
I used to be religious and I'm just so happy to have escaped from all that nonsense and I, you know, it's patriarchal and all this and I don't want my granddaughter in the clutches of the church, etc. So what do you do in that situation? Go to the loo, go and try and find another seat. So my friend in that situation does what Jesus does, which is to ask a question. And here's the question she said. She said, what would it take for you to change your mind and to believe in God? The woman said, well, it would have to be something pretty spectacular. So my friend said, how about if God sent somebody to you to tell you that he loves you? The woman said, well, it would be a start. She didn't see it coming at all. So my friend said, well, God has sent me onto this train to sit next to you out of all the seats to tell you that he loves you. Newspapers went up all around the carriage. You could have cut the tension with a knife. The woman didn't say anything for a moment. My friend said to her, do you ever pray? She said, how did you know? You know, a very fascinating survey came out a few years ago um, on attitudes in Britain that showed the huge proportion of people who do pray regularly. So my friend said, what do you say when you pray? And this woman said, when I pray, it's often in the middle of the night and I can't get to sleep and I just lie in my bed and I say, God, if you are there, will you reveal yourself to me? Interesting. So for the rest of that carriage, my friend enjoyed a bit of weeping. A question, so asking the right question can help to open up a, a difficult situation like that, to redefine an issue. We've seen Jesus doing it in Matthew 22. If we had longer, we could look into that. Fifthly, a question can demonstrate and communicate empathy. What do I mean by empathy? Empathy is really a word for compassion, which is not in any way patronizing. It's a coming alongside a person without pitying them, but, but showing them that you actually feel with them and for them. And um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a really important thing for us as Christians to be able to do, to show and demonstrate empathy, the feeling of that God has when he looks at a suffering world, that you care and you want to come alongside a person you care for. Empathy. So a, a question can demonstrate empathy. We see Jesus do this himself in John 11, verse 34. This context is Lazarus. Jesus asked this question, where have you laid him? Where is he? Where have you laid him? It's interesting when people die, how often the bereaved person describes the loneliness of that experience because nobody speaks to them. People just don't know what to say when someone has died and often cross the road and won't say anything at all. In here, what we see is that asking a question is not doling out advice. Here, let me help you through your grief. This is what I say. I want to advise you. 
but just asking a simple, generous question that will give that person the opportunity to speak if they want to or not to if they don't want to. A question can demonstrate empathy and helps us to speak in the place of grief and to bring the person in the presence of Christ into that context. And wherever you live, that's important if you're going to be someone who brings the kingdom of God because we're living in a dying, suffering world, even in Chipping Camden, aren't we? You know, I used to talk about this sort of thing when I lived in Peckham and it was a very extreme, you know, people who had lost children to gang violence or who were going through processing horrific sexual abuse or rape or domestic violence and coming alongside someone who's suffering and being able to speak and bring the presence of Jesus very often involved asking questions that enable that person to just be real and to speak about how they feel if they want to. But it's interesting, I've discovered in Middle England that the same is true. There's plenty of grief and sorrow and death um, in, in Britain. So let me encourage you to do that, to ask questions that demonstrate empathy. Sixthly, a question can reveal motive. A question can get to the heart of motive. Jesus asks in chapter 5 of John's Gospel in verse 6, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? And um, again, a question asked can enable someone to explore and examine their own motives. I was asked to speak in Washington, D.C. about um, two and a half years ago. And we were doing a mission there, and I was speaking in various universities. And the people organizing it said, we'd also really like you to come and speak on Capitol Hill to um, the staff of um, Congress and the Senate. And, you know, they're about sort of... 40, 50 Christians who work on the hill and they're going to arrange a free lunch. They'll, you know, we'll fund a lunch and you will give a talk and answer questions and they will bring their political friends, non-Christians, to hear this talk and ask questions. So he said, this is the first time we've done anything quite like this and we've never had more than, I think it was 60 people at this sort of meeting, even with quite well-known people from America and obviously no one will know who you are. So, you know, it will be small, but hopefully, you know, an opportunity for God to work. So I thought, okay, fine. And they said, what we want you to speak on is, is Christianity a failed hope? Is Christianity a failure? I thought, well, I've never spoken on that, and that sounds like a total nightmare, but there'll be hardly anyone there, so I don't need to worry about it that much. And I prepared and agonized over what I was going to say, and I thought it was a very bizarre question. Is Christianity a failure? Of course, in the US context, um, this question hit a massive nerve. And they texted me the night before the meeting to say, just to give you an idea of how many people we've got coming, 319 people have RSVP'd. <laughs> and we only know of maybe 40, 50 Christians on the hill. So this is going to be vast majority unbelievers. And they want to hear what a Christian has to say in answer to this. We've booked the room next to the big debating chamber and, you know, Colin Powell spoke there last week. I'm thinking, Lord, help me. What have I said yes to? Fascinating question. 
is Christianity a failed hope? And we had an amazing Q&A. Um, it's probably one of the most intimidating events I've spoken at. But that question went to the heart of what people felt and what they feared. This has been tried and it has failed. It's been found wanting. For some people, they'd come saying, I want this to be the case. I don't like the idea of the Christian right and you know Christian evangelicals in America, and I want it to be the case that this is a failure. It was a question that went to the heart of motive. Seventhly, a question can open up a frank discussion about barriers to belief. We see this in John chapter 8, verse 46. Jesus says, if I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? So a question can enable people to articulate why they don't believe. Remember, my mum was asked that question. Why aren't you a Christian? And that was the question that unlocked things for her. The opportunity to articulate what I don't believe and what I disagree with and what I can't accept can be an opportunity to remove some of those misconceptions and to bring the person of Christ into that conversation. Okay, so the first thing is to ask questions. Jesus did it a lot. The second thing I want to suggest to you this morning that we need to do if we're going to be those who reap is that we need to make the invitation. We need to make the invitation. At this point, the tension rises in the room. But we need to become confident in um, being those who offer people the opportunity to respond, who offer people the opportunity to respond. Now, it's interesting for me, um, working in the field of evangelism and apologetics, how, how often I would be invited to go somewhere and do that, and then people would be really, really, really nervous about making any sort of appeal because they've seen it done so badly and they think, I just can't bear for my friends to be subjected to you know, some cheesy, cringeworthy appeal or an emotionally manipulative appeal. And yet, we see throughout the New Testament that wherever the gospel goes out, that invitation to repent and believe, that invitation to accept Christ is integral. And this is what reaping is about. It's about helping someone really take that step of beginning a relationship with Jesus. So we need to learn how to do it, in a way that we're comfortable with, that is culturally relevant in Britain, in conversation, but to invite people to respond. I um, was speaking a few, uh, a few years ago at New Wine, and I was about to go home. My children were um, really, really ready to go home, fed up of the camping and all that. If you've been to New Wine, you understand why. And... Um, we were just having some food before we were about to drive away and a, a girl came up wanting to talk to us and I could see, you know, I didn't want to talk to her and my, <laughs> neither did my family, but obviously we were being English, we're very polite. And um, she said, oh, you know, I've been emailing you and, and uh, you're coming to do a mission at my university next year. And I thought, okay, great, email me. I don't want to talk about it now, I can't think about it. 
And she said, I just want to say one thing. I want to say that the reason that I'm a Christian is because you made an invitation. I said, well, I'm sure that's not the reason, you know, God was in, in charge. And she said, no, honestly, it's a, a big part of it. I was at an event. I wouldn't have, like, initiated coming to Christ unless I'd been invited to. And I had no memory of this particular thing she'd been at, but she said, I want you to come to my university and I want everybody I know to hear the gospel. I want them to be invited to make a response to Jesus because I know for me that was the main thing. Now to hear that from someone who was a new believer was a real encouragement and it stayed with me. How do we do that? How do we call people to, to respond? Well, I found two simple questions. Can I pray with you? Would you like to be prayed with? Or for someone who's not quite there, can I pray for you and then see whether they're ready to accept Christ? So to be ready um, to, to encourage people to make a response and to be a little bit brave about doing that and to expect maybe after a conversation that my friend who's taken some steps towards the Lord might actually be ready to make a response. So to just really think about that one. Number one, to ask questions. Number two, to invite people to make a response. And then the third thing before we have some prayer ministry is to listen to God and to be available to him and expecting him to use us wherever he's placed us, whether it's to talk to the person over the garden fence or the random person that we meet on the bus or somebody that we meet at a party, to be available to the Lord to speak and to, and to, um, and to reap. Fascinating how um, many parents I've met in the last three or four years who've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for their children who've gone away from God and their child has met somebody or come along to an event um, and someone else has brought them through, but it's been the work of the parents that, on their knees that has brought that salvation about. Of course, it's God that brings it about, but you know what I mean? How many of those reaping moments actually happen in quite a random way. And now I'm on the lookout for it. You know, I'm on the lookout for the person who's who I find myself talking to. And so often I hear, oh yes, my mum's a Christian. She's been praying for me for years. She'll be delighted I'm talking to you. So to be that link in someone else's chain. Um, a story from the Iranian church. Some of you, have heard, if you've heard me speak before, may have heard this. But um, in the 1980s, the Iranian church was going through a period of very severe persecution the Iranian church is going through a real period of revival at the moment and some persecution. But at this point, um, quite a few of the leaders had been martyred. And um, some dear friends of ours are heavily involved in the Iranian church. And they told me this story. 
there was a couple, husband and wife, and they had agreed that every day they would speak to five people about Jesus and try and give them a piece of the New Testament. Okay, probably lots of us are feeling intimidated, including me right now. So they had been driving um, on a long trip, and they had spoken to four people that day. And as they were pulling into a petrol station, the wife saw um, a man dressed in very militant clothes who was armed, standing next to the place where you would pay, and sort of standing to attention, really. And the woman said to the husband, look, darling, there's your number five. <laughs> and he put the petrol in, and he sort of said to her, no, 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 I, I, I don't feel led, I don't think so. Went in and paid for the petrol, got back into the car, and they drove away. And they had a, what's known as a friendly marital conversation in the car, which ended with her saying, when that man stands before Christ on judgment day, I will say to Jesus, I wanted to tell him, but my husband wouldn't do it. <laughs> so the husband did a handbrake turn, turned the car around, screeching on the road, and drove back at high speed to the petrol station, drove in, and as he slammed the door getting out of the car, said, if you want a martyr for a husband, you can have one, slam. <laughs> And went to the guy and said to him, I just I've just come and I want to give you this. And he gave him a piece of the New Testament. And he turned around and walked away. And as he walked, he heard a thud behind him. And he turned around and looked back at the man. And the man had fallen onto his knees and was weeping. So the church leader turned back to him and said, well, what, what's just happened here? And the man said, three days ago I had a dream and a man dressed in white who I think might have been Jesus appeared to me and told me to walk here and to wait here and that somebody would come and give me the book of life. Thank you for stopping. Wow. That's quite a sobering story. It's an amazing story of a divine appointment. But it's a, a sobering story as well because... We read in the Bible about a God who desires, who longs for people to come into relationship with him. We read in the Bible that through Paul that we are Christ's ambassadors and that God makes his appeal of love to the world primarily through us. We are the ones who make that invitation and who take the love of God into the world and take the word of God with us. Now, of course, he appears to people in dreams and visions and does wonderful things. But so many of the stories that I know and have experienced and been part of that have involved a miracle of some sort have also involved someone, a normal Christian, being prepared to step out and, and speak up and make an invitation or ask a question or give a piece of the Bible to somebody. So to ask questions to invite people to respond and to listen to God, to uh, ask him to help you be alert and to be aware of the opportunities of the divine appointments that he's going to put across your path that day. And to pray for those people that you love, that you're praying for, parents or children or other relatives or friends who don't know the Lord, that God will do that through someone else in their life. Why don't we stand? I'm going to pray for us. And um, we're going to have an opportunity to receive some, some ministry. 
As we were, um, as the prayer ministry team were praying before a few words were given, um, one was a picture of a daisy chain which was delicate, one daisy connected to another, but connected through brokenness in the sense that you have to make a hole in one daisy to link it to another. Let's just close our eyes and as I share some of these words, just ask the Lord if he's speaking to you. Um, Another of the shepherd taking sheep onto fresh pasture when they've um, grazed all of the current field he has for them. Another word about broken plant pots that have been crushed um, and only through water, which is tears, can growth come. And when the water came, the tears came, amazing blossoms and blooms grew from those plant pots, which were quite broken. Sense that some women need to really come forward and just let go, and that if tears come, that's, 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 this is a place for that growth can come. Encouragement to you. Sense that some need to come out of your seat, that you've been a Christian for a long time and that you need to let things go. A word about someone being in a dark dungeon and the door being open and the light shining in and all that you need to do is to come, that the, the, the chains have been broken and you just need to come. The promise of the Psalms that he will restore our souls. So those are a few of the words from the ministry team. I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come, and I'm going to invite the ministry team, if you can just come forward and stand here while I pray. And um, we're going to um, be offering prayer for people, laying hands and, and prayer. And if any of those words have spoken to you, or perhaps some of the things that have come up in either talk this morning, that sense of sowing in the place of tears, the sense of wanting to really carry the presence of Jesus um, with you as you go. We'd love to pray for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to, to really be able to go out from this place absolutely knowing confidently um, that, that the presence of God has filled you. For others, um, there may be a, a, a desperate prayer for people that you're close to, perhaps the, the person you're married to or a child or a grandchild or someone else, a parent, who you really, really long that they would come to know the Lord and you're sort of at your wit's end um, and you've almost given up hope that they could come through. We'd love to, to name those people before God with the ministry team and really pray with you for those people. So I'm going to pray. And then after I've done that, I'm going to invite those who want to receive personal prayer to come forward and be ministered to here at the side. So Holy Spirit, will you come now um, as we stand in your presence? Thank you that you're here speaking through your word. And we pray that you would fill your people. We pray that you would minister to your people here right now. For those who need chains to be broken, for those who need to rise up out of disappointment and into a new pasture, for those who are walking through a season of 
tears and brokenness and suffering. For those who have um, particular individuals that they're longing to see come to know you, would you move here? Would you be answering our prayers here, Lord? Would you fill us? Fill this place. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Just open your heart to him right now. Lord, we pray for divine appointments in, to happen for people in this room, that those who are here would go out and would take your word and take the gospel and the presence of Christ to random people that you send across their path. Thank you, Lord. We pray for specific dreams and visions and creative ideas that you would lay those on people's hearts right now. Callings and things that you want to say to them. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you'd like to receive prayer, why don't you um, make your way to the corner to the side here. I'm going to lead us in a song. Um, for the rest of us. But don't be shy. I encourage you to um, take the opportunity to have someone lay a hand on you and pray with you. To name someone before God that you're concerned about. To pray for God's presence in a season of brokenness or respond to any of these words. Why don't you come now and we're going to sing, um, Father, we love you. We worship and adore you. Why don't you do that? So just make your way forward. Don't be shy. Father, we love you.